welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Well, good morning, everyone. If you are visiting with us, you've chose the easiest day ever to come. Yay! Um, We are going to dig into this text a bit. I got my 30 pages of notes down to six, so I'm not going to answer all your questions. I hope to do a few things here today. I'm going to point out this um, for everyone here. We should neither deify nor despise marriage, first point. Secondly, the emphasis I'm going to leave you with today is for all of us to be under Christ, okay? And then thirdly, this. If you're not ready to serve, you're not ready to lead, okay? Three things I'm going to touch on in our short time together. You see before you, even if you're watching from home, we have uh, the table set up for the Lord's Supper. And so in many ways, everything we're doing today is preparing for us to take the supper together. And the supper is not a Carmel Presbyterian Church thing. It's a Jesus thing. It's his supper. You know who it's for? For anyone who's confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior, And so here's the great news, that my joy will be to see every one of you partaking in the supper because it means that every one of you knows Jesus as Lord and Savior. And if you're not sure about that, we want you to leave today sure that you would know that when this life is done, when you've breathed your last breath, that you would be greeted by King Jesus and he would say, welcome home. How can you know that? You know it because you've confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. We want every one of you to know. So I just want to pray for us as we prepare for the Lord's table, as we prepare for God's word, that we would put first things first, which is Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, I continue to pray for those who maybe are listening and are not sure if they are in your family. Oh, Lord, would you lead them to yourself as they confess you as Lord and Savior, as they ask you to forgive their sins and invite you in. Oh, Lord, may it be even now. Come in to folks who are saying yes to you right now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Maybe some of you even prayed that now. We want to welcome you to the supper today then as a follower of Christ, and we want to talk to you about what it means to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, as we dig into this passage, prepare for the Lord's Supper, I want you to keep your Bibles open. So find your Bible. If you're using a device, that's okay too, Ephesians 5. And I want you to go, uh, open it to verse 22, and you're going to see we're going to go back a little further in a moment. But as you're turning there, I want to say this. There's a word for you singles here today. Don't tune out because, oh, the marriage talk. So you're single, don't tune out. Because we all began our life as singles, right? And we're all going to end our lives as singles, most likely, right? Unless you're one of those weird people who are planning to perfectly time with your spouse the exact moment of death. That's weird if you're doing that, by the way. Um, unless you're doing that, we, will, we all began our life as singles. We will all end our life as singles. Okay, there's a word for singles people here today. When Jesus was asked about marriage in heaven, the, the religious leaders gave him a trick question. But someone had multiple marriages because someone a spouse kept dying. Well, which one will, which one will be the spouse in heaven? And Jesus says, oh, you don't understand. There is no marriage in heaven. It's like, whoa, no marriage in heaven. There's no marriage in heaven because the love we will experience in the presence of Jesus will be so strong that there won't even be room for something 
as beautiful and good as God ordained as marriage. There's not going to be marriage in heaven except to Jesus. The marriage and the life to come will be with Jesus. And Jesus himself describes himself as the groom throughout the Bible. And we are his bride, the church. We're married to Jesus in this next world. And so for those of us married, married, we're practicing, right, for our marriage to Jesus. And those of us single, in our singleness, we're practicing for marriage in heaven with Jesus. Now, I want to give a qualification. You're part of a wonderful church or part of something called the eco-denomination, E-C-O. We joyfully and wonderfully support men and women as leaders and servants, as deacon and elders and pastors and all levels of leadership in our church. We think that's great. We celebrate that. We think that's from God's word. But what do we do with a passage like this? where it says, wives submit to husbands. What do we do with that? Well, I'm going to take a few attempts to give some context to it and see what the Lord might say to us. But I want to say this. Since our marriage to Jesus will be eternally in the life to come, I know some singles, though, on this planet Earth who overly put their hopes in marrying someone special in this life to the point that they can't find joy in being single. I think that puts too much weight on marriage. In a sense, they deified. I cannot be happy unless I have that. And that is having a spouse. If I can't have a spouse, I can't have a life. That's deifying marriage. That's not what God intends. Because nothing but Jesus can satisfy. You might think of yourself or someone you know who maybe leans on the spectrum of deifying marriage. That's the ultimate. If I only had that, then I'd finally be happy. On their hand, I know some singles who don't struggle with deifying marriage. It's the exact opposite. They despise the idea of being married. They quote stats, which are somewhat true, that marriages, even amongst Christians, 50% end in divorce. And for those that remain married, even Christians, they're unhappy. That's the stats that they throw out. And so no wonder that you have some singles who despise the idea of being married. They're just reading the stats. They're hearing the stories. They've experienced it themselves. They've seen their own parents. They themselves have had a very painful marriage or in a painful marriage. But I would say this. The stats don't show how when you have a husband and wife who are both submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ and loving each other and serving each other, there's incredible happiness, the statistics would show. High, high, high. And the 80% satisfaction rate amongst Christian husbands and wives who are lovingly submitted to Christ first. Marriage is awesome. I didn't say it's perfect. (laughs) Marriage is beautiful. I didn't say it's going to be easy. But I want all of us to hear we should neither deify marriage as the answer to everything nor despise it. Because all the stats are my personal experience Neither despise or deify marriage. All Christians are called to be under Christ in marriage and in singleness. So let's jump to Ephesians 5, verse 21. Would you turn with me there? In verse 21, Paul says this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to husbands. Now, I said it that way. I know your Bible doesn't say that, does it? Your Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands. Actually, in the original text, the word submit's not even there. (gasps) Did you know that? You know why? You know. 
They, we, translators put it in there to help us out to realize what was meant, right? So here's the thing I just want to say. It's clear, since they didn't even have the verb in there to submit, that 22 was meant to be connected to which verse? 21. You're taking the verb from 21 and inserting it in 22, so there's a connection. So you see in your Bibles, there's this, there's this heading separation. Well, we, we added that. We made that up. That's not in the original scroll that Paul penned. It's one continuous thought. And in fact, I'd even say what we see, instead of a separate section that says, wives, submit to your husbands, what it is, it's one continuous thought beginning in verse 18. Jump there. In verse 18, Paul says this, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't be filled with alcohol. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't be under the control of a substance. Be under the control of, a, of the Spirit of God. Verse 18, okay? And what we see in verse 18 all the way to verse 22 is one continuous run-on sentence. It's meant to be seen as one section. Be filled with the Spirit, Submit to one another, and then it literally says, wives to husbands. You get the logic? Filled with the Spirit, submit to one another, wives to husbands. And I believe that whole section from 22 all the way down is an example of how to submit to one another. First wives to husbands, then husbands to wives, and later it will be parents to children, children to parents, masters to slaves, slaves to masters, I'll get there next week. Okay? That's what I think. That we see, actually, in verses 19 to 21, I'll mention this, Paul lists four manifestations of what a spirit-filled community looks like. First, it's speaking to each other with songs. We did that. Wasn't that great? We're worshiping the Lord, but we were blessing each other, this great God who's laid down his life for us. And then secondly, then Paul says in that section of 19 to 21, next, sing to the Lord from your heart. We were doing that. Third, always thanking God for everything. And here's a fourth thing you need to do when you're filled with the Spirit. Submit to one another. Out of reverence for who? Christ. Submitting literally is standing under. Hupostasso. Standing under. Standing under who? Christ. Because we have Christ, we can stand under one another. Because we have Christ, we can sing songs to each other. Because we have Christ, we can sing songs to him. Because we have Christ, we can stand under. Our security is in Christ. I am loved. I am saved. I'm forgiven. I can stand under anyone. Wives and husbands, Stand under each other. Children and parents stand under each other. Sir, servants and masters stand under each other because of Christ. Republicans and Democrats stand under each other. Oakland A's fans and San Francisco Giants fans. I know, I've stepped on it now. Standing under each other. Out of reverence, out of fear for the Lord. That's the power to stand under so Paul's point is this, I want you to hear it well, that the debt we owe to Jesus is to be given to our neighbor. We owe a debt to the one we're standing under. And since Jesus says, I want you to gift that debt to someone else, stand under them. You know why? Because Jesus says, I stood under you. I took a cross. Can't you do this? 
by submitting to one another out of reverence for me. The debt we owe Jesus is to be given to the other out of reverence for him. So again, I say to those who are married, Paul's point is to emphasize us standing under Christ and then standing under others in reverence to him. And for those who are not married or those who are divorced or those who lost a spouse, you do not reflect Christ any less than the marrieds. I want you to hear that. You too stand under Christ. You too give the debt you owe Jesus and pay it forward in love. Not because you have to, but because you want to. Because you stand under his grace and under his love. You too, singles, stand under and share. See, Paul is continuing his thought from verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. It leads to verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I want you to see this, that Paul chooses not to eradicate the cultural norms of his day, but he radically redefines them from within because of Christ's servant love. Now we're going to dive into verse 22. Here it is again. Get ready. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I'm going to mention, I couldn't find this picture, but years ago, a large Christian journal showed a cartoon And the cartoon was the Apostle Paul with the scroll going into the city of Ephesus, because that's the letter we're reading, right? This letter he wrote to the Ephesians. He's entering the city of Ephesus and greeting him or a group of women with protest signs. And the signs say, women of Ephesus, unite. And it says, Paul, the apostle, is a male chauvinist pig. And underneath the cartoon caption has Paul saying, oh, I see you got my letter. We are tackling one of the most controversial sections of Scripture in modern times. I just want to ask you to read Paul's words and to hear Paul's words with some fresh ears and eyes by transporting yourself with me 2,000 years earlier in the Middle East where it was assumed that men ruled women in every aspect of life. Okay, get that picture. Still happens today in some parts of the world. Every aspect of life, women were considered property, owned. They couldn't direct anything in some parts of the world today. So I want you to transport yourself to 2,000 years ago in the Middle East or somewhere else where I won't mention the certain countries, but if you are a woman, you are owned by the man in your life. Even if he has seven wives, you're still his property. Still happens today. Okay? So as you transport yourself to 2,000 years ago or to someone else, somewhere else today that still has that kind of philosophy and value system where the man is the authority in every aspect of life, I want you to see that the reality is that the cartoon got it all wrong. Because instead of the women protesting, it'd be the men saying, Paul, what are you doing, man? We have a good thing going. Let's grab a beer. Come on. The women are cleaning. They're cooking. They're taking care of the household. We get to go wherever we want. Paul, tone it down, man. The cartoon had it wrong. It wouldn't be the women protesting. It would be the men. Because Paul is messing with the structure they had where the men were at the top and the women are all the way down here. And Paul does this. In Christ, this is what it's like. Have you transported yourself to 2,000 years ago? 
and to hear Paul's words and to, and to, and to see these words in a different light. Paul is saying to the Christians, because of Jesus, he changes everything. Because Jesus came not to be, not to be served, but to serve. Men, be like that. They're like, whoa, servant. I'm the man. That's not what I do. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus taking the cross, because of Jesus, he's the model that we should employ. And sometimes I forget that Jesus didn't die on a cross to make me a nicer person or to improve my life. Or some of us men, we wrongly see the passage, Jesus died on a cross to make me boss. Oh no. Died on a cross to make you a servant. If you want to read, I don't know what Bible you're reading. It's all about being a servant. You're going to see it even more and more. I'll even tell you, Paul spends three times more words telling the husbands how to be a servant than he even tells the wife about doing the same. I think maybe we need three times more time to help us, right? Our fixed goals, perhaps, whatever it is. Jesus came to forgive my sins and pay my debt. Yes, and he came to set me free from trying to find meaning through accomplishments or acquisitions or accolades. He came to remake me and you as a servant. A servant who wouldn't give in to jealousy or hopelessness or gossip or selfishness, but to empower us by being submitted to the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, in a sense, be submitted to it, come under, the, uh, come under the impression of the Spirit, right? Be filled, submit to one another, and now wives to husbands. And in a little bit, we'll get to husbands to wives. You see, the great joy of the Easter tomb is only accessible to those who come under the authority of Jesus. And that's what we prayed earlier before we started talking. Have you come under the authority of Jesus? Do you know that when you die, when you breathe your last, that he is the one who will say, welcome home. So great to finally hug you in person. <laughs> Amen. It's for those who will come under Jesus and are saying, I'm willing to come under anyone you call me to, Jesus, because I owe you a debt I can never repay. And I will gift your love to someone else my neighbor, my husband, my wife, my friend. We admit that you need Jesus as you come under him. Oh, Lord, I need your power that I would come under others to glorify you. This one who loved us unto death. Back to verse 22. Here we go. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Again, I'm going to reemphasize re in the Greco-Roman society and in Jewish culture of that time, husbands had total authority over their wives, over their children, over their servants. Submission went in one direction from the man to the others. Man, husband to wife, father to children, master to servant. In all domains, the man had the lead. And so wives submitting to husbands was assumed for the original readers 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, okay, and in, in this part of, of uh, Ephesus, okay, in the Roman Empire, assumed. What would have been surprising was what Paul said in verse 21, where he says to the men and women and children who are reading the scroll and hearing the scroll, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wait, 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 what, what, Paul? All the men are saying, wait, What? We've never done that. You know, he says it's because of Christ. 
that you're going to begin doing this. And that verse 21, submit to one another, flows right into verse 22. So it's men and women submitting to one another within the assembly of Christians. And submitting is ultimately choosing selflessness over selfishness, isn't it? Like Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for the one who submitted himself to us. So yes, wives submit to husbands within the mutual submission of all under the Lord. Verse 23 For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, the word for head, for you those looking this up, is kephali in the Greek. It could mean authority, but I actually think Paul is emphasizing more how Christ is the head of the body, which is really a unified vision of togetherness. Imagine your body without a head, okay? But also imagine a head without a body, I think Paul is actually emphasizing this togetherness, this unity of the body, because if he wanted to emphasize the point of a husband's authority over the wife, he had a very simple word he could have used that he's used at other times, a Greek word that is authentine. Just use that one. Make it clear. I just think Paul's trying to make a different emphasis going within the cultural expectation and reversing it. He's bringing women up instead of pushing them down. He's subverting an assumption of marriage. Headship, in verse 23, is tied to saviorship. And in our our Western minds, we're thinking, oh, the savior, the hero, yes. Well, yes, but how is Jesus the savior? By laying down his life, by humbling himself on the cross, by washing his servants' feet. You want to be a savior, husbands? Go to it. That's what it looks like. That's what Paul's saying to the men. And they're, going, they're getting real nervous. Oh, that's not how we've been usually doing the headship thing in my home, Paul. He's saying, well, Jesus is in a whole different way. Start washing feet. Start putting on aprons. Start loving like Jesus loved. Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, laid down his life in extravagant love for his beloved church, which is his own body. He came not to be served, but to serve. And so what Paul is doing, I think, is not emphasizing authority, which was already assumed. They already knew that. Husbands over wives. Okay. What he's doing in this passage is making a point of how the husband, not so much as the final decision maker, but the ultimate servant, is the thrust of the passage. This is radical. The head is serving Now, verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Again, Paul is repeating the cultural assumption. He's not upending what was assumed to be true. He's trying to redefine it in light of Christ. Paul is saying to recognize those who are leading by serving. Those who are modeling Christ-like servanthood are worth following. And so I know for some people, you might be in a marriage where your spouse is not exhibiting Christ-like behavior. Well, don't forget, you're under Christ first. You you don't need to be silent if there is some, some pain or some abuse in that situation. No, we want to walk with you in that you... All of us, as we submit to one another, we're submitting out of reverence for Christ. And so, yes, and especially in marriages. 
Let's make sure those that we are submitting to are following Christ, walking with the Lord. And when they aren't, we are able to find ways to confront them with the ways they aren't submitting themselves to the Lord first. Christ-like servanthood is what's worth following. So Paul is emphasizing Christ-likeness is expected of the husband. He's really putting us, man, on the spotlight, on blast, saying, husbands, you want to lead. This is what it looks like. And then he goes into detail how the husbands are to serve in particular. Take a look at verse 25. Verse 25 says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Remember, Paul is continuing his thought from verse 21, where he says, submit to one another. In the beginning of verse 22, and wives to husbands. And now I think in verse 25, now it's the husband's terms, husbands to wives. It's a continuous thought from verse 21. And husbands are to love their wives. And in fact, Paul ends this section in verse 30, which says this, because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul is saying, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and to let the wife see that she respects her husband. Because we're members of one body. This is your own body, your own flesh. See, the command to love is the outcome of the mutual submission directive. I want to go back to verse 26 quickly. In verse 26, Paul says this, husbands, that he might sanctify her, his wife, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Here's an interesting thing that I wouldn't have caught unless I studied this. Paul is challenging the cultural stereotypes of masculinity of 2,000 years ago that says what defines you as a man is your ability to be in control, to lead with authority, to be the embodiment of strength and power. And what he does, he's pointing husbands instead to Christ's sacrificial love of suffering. Okay? Yes, Jesus won victory on the cross by laying his life down. It looks like he lost with weakness, with death. Husbands, too likewise. Paul is pointing husbands to the fact that imagine yourself presenting your wives to Jesus after a lifetime of loving, sacrificial service to them. I guess I hope and pray that there would be wives in here who would, who would long for that. A husband who would serve them and love them with the idea that we're all going to eventually be betrothed to Jesus. That marriage on this earth, it, it's beautiful and good and godly, but temporary. And what Paul does, which is interesting, and in this section, he's actually using certain words and images that would have been assumed as women's work. Did you notice that? It's cleaning and dressing and getting stains out. This would have been clearly known as Women's work. Paul is saying, you want to be the leader? You be the servant. Interesting. Love and serve like Jesus. Be willing to do even that which your culture says is the lowest thing, the subservient thing. Paul says, exactly, because that's what Christ has done for you. We are under Christ, and we are be under one another out of reverence for Christ. Verses 28 through 30 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Who who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ says the church, because we are members of one body. Paul is saying, husbands, you want to be leaders, you need to lead like Jesus, who came under others, did the slaves' work, and loves extravagantly. So again, if you transported yourself with me by the Spirit 2,000 years ago to the the Middle East and to the Greco-Roman Empire, you would have heard Paul's words radically elevating women to equality when they were assumed to be so far under. He challenges men to do the slaves' work. He challenges men to say, take the low position, to love your wives by serving them. He spends so much time telling the husbands how to do this. I'm going to wrap up with this last point, which ties into everything else. If you're not ready to serve, you're not ready to lead. Verses 31-33. Therefore, Paul is making this logical conclusion about the man as, as like Jesus, who was the savior of the church, laying down his life for those in his household, particularly his wife. He says this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Marriage, Paul is saying, the mystery is a marriage is a copy of the pattern of Christ and the church. And so here's the mystery, that God in Christ found his joy in laying down his life for you. And the bigger picture is that in marriage, each partner should pursue his or her own joy and the joy of the other as we seek to serve. And so now we see husbands and wives get the opportunity to live out this mystery that God-ordained marriage is the opportunity not to serve my own needs, but ultimately to serve the other, to help them prepare to be ultimately betrothed to Jesus, husbands and wives. And so husbands, if you want to lead, lead by serving and do it well. And wives, says, respect your husbands as we're all mutually submitting to one another. Respect them. And husbands love. And of course, wives love also. And husbands need to respect. Paul isn't using these words in a precise way that only one spouse is one of the things. We all do these things. And so we see that Paul is completely upending the assumptions of his day in light of being under Jesus. Submit to one another because you're under Christ. Wives to husbands, husbands to wives. Respect them because you know your security is in Christ. Husbands to wives and love your wives because Christ is sacrificed to you. You see, everyone who is a father of Christ is being asked to live selflessly under Christ and then under one another. I want to close with a story. The late Brandon Manning shares a story of a doctor who just completed surgery on a wife. He removed a tumor in her face, and he caught this moment at the bedside between a young husband and his young wife who just came out of surgery successfully But in his successful surgery, he admits he was not able to avoid severing one of the nerves that left the wife with the inability to smile. She had a crooked smile because of the nerve that was severed. 
And the doctor, the surgeon, was watching this intimate moment between the young husband who was seeing his wife for the first time and the wife, you could tell, who was obviously very insecure about her situation. And so the wife smiles at her husband, looks up at him and has her crooked smile. And he says, you know, I think it's kind of cute, is what he says. And then in the moment, the surgeons witness this holy moment where the husband instinctively kneels down to kiss his wife and he twists his lips to match hers. I can't think of a better picture Christians, of being under Christ and what we are to do in marriage for each other. We think of coming to this table and to a Jesus who came under death, under the cross, so that you might find life. His twisted body so that you could be with him for eternity. Oh, friends, that's a reason to say thank you. We have a debt we can never repay. And so he says, as you come under me, come under others. Humble servants, in the name of Jesus, let's pray. Let's take a moment in silence and we confess our sins to the Lord. Lord, hear us as we confess our sins to you. Oh, Lord, we could spend a lot more time confessing all the ways that we are selfish instead of selfless in ways that maybe we deify the wrong things and despise good things. Lord, forgive us for not trusting you in marriage and not trusting you in singleness. Lord, help us to see that we are under you and because of that, We can handle anything. Oh, Lord, thank you that you're coming back for us. Take us home to be with you one day. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.